0: Hi, I'm Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical advice and encouragement to help you with your writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 144 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. This episode is a conversation with Peter Guzzardi. Now Peter is a long-time book editor who worked with the likes of Stephen Hawking on A Brief History of Time, Deepak Chopra on 15 books, Carol Burnett on two memoirs, and Douglas Adams on his Hitchhiker Novels. And after 40 years working with authors, Peter realized his lifelong dream to publish his own book in May 2019 with the release of Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow. In this episode, we talk about his new book and explore how the lessons that it has to teach us can be applied specifically to the life and work of a writer. I had an immensely enjoyable time talking to Peter. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Here it is. So, Peter, great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Creative Writers' Tool Belt. That's wonderful to be here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your upbringing and the formative influences on you as a child, particularly the kind of formative cultural influences on you.
1: Well, I was born in 1950, and, and shortly after... I was born, my family moved to Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh, My father was in the foreign service. And shortly after that, I contracted polio. Uh, I was a toddler. Mm. Um, And I really think that that this really drove me towards books as I got older and began to read. Books became a way of transcending the physical limitations that that lingered in my body as a result of the polio. Uh, and, And I feel like, especially with fiction, the The kind of boundary between my my psyche and the world of the novel is particularly kind of thin and mm. porous and I, and I I just get absorbed into the world of, of, of the novel in a way that uh, perhaps other people do as well but but from a very early age i 've kind of used fiction especially to exp- then the boundaries of my experiences in the world. So books have always played a huge role in my life.
0: Mm. And indeed, continue to play a huge role as you grew up, because you went into the publishing business, as I understand it. Yes, that's
1: right. Yes. Perhaps you Uh, could tell us
0: a little bit about how you got into publishing. um, What was your way in? What are the kind of things that you did when you were
1: there? Well, it's an interesting story about getting my very first job It was a time in the United States where all the president's men uh, had just was out. The film was out and every single English major wanted to become a journalist. This was (laughs) this was the holy grail. So jobs in journalism were few and far between. Mm. Um, That was my first choice. Uh, And then I started to look at book publishing and. Again, editorial jobs were much coveted. And so what I did was look for a job in in marketing as a way of getting my foot in the door. Okay, And uh, applied for a job as a promotion copywriter. And, and basically was not going to get the job uh, and at the last minute it occurred to me I had no callback uh, really and so I went back to the publishing house took the catalog that the publisher had published recently and reworked the copy just edited it and and submitted it to the person who I had interviewed <laughs> with. Uh, and it turned out he had written the copy so this was an act a, a galling act uh, but he had the he had the self-confidence to, to, to basically say you did a terrific job of editing my copy uh, and I was gonna hire somebody else but I've changed my mind I'm gonna hire you so it worked as a tactic (laughs) so your high-stakes gamble paid
0: off on that occasion it did indeed We know that you did move into editing, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about one or two of the people that you did edit during your career.
1: Sure. Uh, I would have to say that the pinnacle of my editorial experience was working with Professor Stephen Hawking on A Brief History of Time. Wow. Uh, Yeah. That was an extraordinary (laughs) experience. And I'll never forget meeting him for the first time. He was still able to, to speak, or he was still able to kind of emit sounds. And I met him in Chicago. And, and I was quite intimidated. I mean, here's this brilliant man. Mm. And he's in a wheelchair. It's like, it's, it's, it's a whole experience. It's kind of difficult to navigate. Um, and I just remember kind of... Uh, try to fill the silence with words. It's like, Professor Hawking, I'm so honored to meet you, and uh, I just mm. flew in, and we've met in this, uh, in your, your hotel room, and, and how was your flight? I hope everything was comfortable, and you're happy here. And, and finally, uh, I ran out of words, and there was this <laughs> kind of long, awkward pause. Uh, and then Stephen said, <sighs> And his graduate student um, looked at me and said, Professor Hawking would like to know, where's the contract? <laughs> and suddenly things started to fall into place suddenly I realized listen I'm dealing with a man for whom uh, communication is very effortful I'm dealing with a crown prince in his field who is used to having things uh, move around according to his will and uh, he's cutting right to the chase and I need to kind of work a lot closer to the bone with this yeah Yeah. that set the stage (laughs) Uh, for what turned out to be a wonderful long-term relationship.
0: Okay. Now, most of my listeners are writers, and a lot of the time they're wondering how they should approach an editor, how they work with an editor, all of this kind of stuff. So I wondered if you had perhaps just a couple of bits of advice about how a writer can get the most out of approaching an editor at a publishing house and how, how, if if that relationship builds, how they should engage with an editor once they've got something going on.
1: So, are we assuming, Andrew, that that we're talking about the editor at the publishing house who has acquired the book? The book is yes. already. Yeah, Let's
0: say that. Well, maybe oh. we could say like one or two things to say to writers about a, 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 an initial approach, and yes. then maybe one, if the editor says, "Yeah, okay, maybe we can work with you," and we're going to, I'm going to acquire this. How sh- how should the writer behave to get the best out of the
1: relationship with the editor? Yeah. So th- those are kind of two very different contexts. Yes. I think in terms of it's, it's very difficult to actually get your submission, your manuscript into the hands of an editor at a publishing house yes. these days. I think very few publishing houses uh, actually consider what they... Call either slush or or over the transom submissions. They only look at things that have been vetted by literary agents. Mm. Uh, but but the few that do, I, I think it'd be interesting to find out which ones do. And you could probably just call the publishing house and ask the switchboard. Um, mm. But uh, the switchboard now there's a there's a throwback term, <laughs> but but you could ask, uh, and. And if they do, the thing for you to do is to take a look at the books in whatever genre you're working and look at the acknowledgements page and look for the editor. Every writer will will acknowledge their editor in almost every case. They'll yes. say thank you so yes. much to my editor um, and make note of both those names. Uh, mm. And if you're gonna go directly to the publishing house, to address your letter to that specific name, you know, to John McIntyre, my editor. So dear uh, Mr. McIntyre, I'm submitting this because I know you're interested in this particular subject and and that's your kind of best way in. And you can use that same trick with with an agent, you know. uh, I'm a fan of your author and uh, and I've written a book that's in a similar vein or different in these ways, but I I, I suspect you'll be interested in and use that as a kind of a point of entry.
0: Okay, I, I mean, I, I take your point. It's incredibly difficult, actually, just to approach a publisher direct. But let's say, right. by whatever route, a writer has been fortunate enough to write contract with a publisher. Yeah. So um, now you've got. Yeah. Now, now, got, now we want to yeah. get the best out of it.
1: Yes. Well, uh, you won't be surprised to hear that what you want to do is form a human, a warm human connection yeah. with this person. <laughs> and and I think that the very best thing you can do early on is either to say, um, listen, I'm going to jump on a plane and come to New York uh, or wherever you are to London and, and, and meet you um, or fly and drive and walk over or You know, sometimes that might be a a little daunting Mm -hmm. for uh, the editor, or just say, hey, I'm coming to New York, and uh, I would love to meet you. Would you like like to meet for a drink? And inevitably, the the answer will be yes. And what you want to do is start early on with a face-to-face connection, uh, now you've got something under your belt together. Now you are, you know, the person you can read them and and you have so much You have so much better chance to kind of not be derailed by the the many ways in which we kind of Misunderstand each other sure. when our only yeah. form of communication is email or text or or phone
0: Yeah, now that is those are really wise words. I'm, I'm a great believer in actually physically going into the same space as someone and meeting them and looking at them in the eye, you know, and, and shaking their hand maybe and just talking to them. It's it, it, right. it early, be-
1: yeah. early on. Now we have a basis of trust.
0: Yeah. That's we can good.
1: Build on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now I know also that you've talked a little bit about um, pushing through uncertainty to achieve goals. I mean, just as a bit of good life advice, how do you think that particularly works for writers?
1: Oh boy. There's so much uncertainty. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, when I made the switch from from being an editor of, of more than 40 years to writing my own book, um, I found it extremely difficult. I was unprepared despite having guided other writers yeah. so many times through mm-hmm. all of these obstacles. I was completely unprepared for how utterly lost I felt. It is just... It was daunting to, to, to kind of write a sentence and then kind of wonder about where the next sentence should go and maybe come up with a decent paragraph. And then, you know, what's, where should I spring off from here for the next mm. paragraph? It's such a kind of lonely and intimidating and disorienting process, at least for the first time. Um, I'm hoping that it gets easier uh, second time (laughs) around. But honestly, I I wish that I had had uh, the tools that I developed in in this book that I wrote, um, which is really kind of... Derived from the Wizard of Oz, but they're yes. kind of tools that we'll discuss, but they're they're ways of orienting you and giving you confidence and and kind of attuning your you into kind of your inner self, your more authentic, most authentic self, um, that I think would serve a writer particularly well. Yeah, I, I think we should we should talk about your book now a little bit. And
0: we're going to explore the kind of things that, that you're saying and the ways in which you're encouraging people. But I wanted to start by just asking you about how you came to conceive of the idea for this book. How did it first come to you?
1: Well, it literally was, was kind of a, a, an epiphany. I was Visiting a publisher in New York, I'm, I'm now an independent editor. So I yeah. go to New York a couple of times a year and, and visit people and, and make sure that I've got a steady stream of work coming. Sure. Um, and I was visiting a publisher and there on a shelf was the 75th anniversary edition of The Wizard of Oz. And there was this amazing picture of Dorothy kind of stepping mm. into this miraculous technicolor a uh, dream of Oz, and and in that moment, I just this, something clicked that I thought to myself, you know. I have worked with so many like smart people and whatever kind of wisdom uh, intelligence I might've absorbed from those experiences was right there in that film that I mm. first watched when mm. I was at 11 years old. Mm. Uh, and I just happened to blurt that out to the publisher with whom I was uh, visiting. And he said, you know, geez, I think that's a really good idea. Why don't you write that up as a book proposal?
0: There you go. you so pitched a like,
1: book without even yeah, uh, realizing you were doing yeah. it. Without even realizing probably the <laughs> most effective possible way probably yeah so that's that's how it started and then i was faced with the prospect of actually once i'd written the proposal and he liked it and bought it then i was faced with the 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 much more difficult uh, prospect of actually writing a book that he would like and and so i want to
0: ask you probably what is quite a difficult question now then we are going to get into the detail but just if you look at the whole thing with this whole film and what is it that's so magical about the wizard of oz what is it that 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 is so inspiring just the whole thing do you think
1: well uh, a couple of things i think at, at least in the united states it was it has been gosh it starting in 1959 the film was aired on television once a year and around the holidays and mm. it just became a tradition where people would gather around their first black and white and later color televisions and watch this film as a family. Uh, So there are generations of people for whom uh, this, this film is extremely familiar. You know, you mm. really mm. absorbed it at a kind of cellular level. Mm. Uh, so there's that, and the other factor I think is that you know this film is the most watched film of all time, which means it, it's a classic. And so, what is it about classics? It's not just uh, the vehicle of transmission, if you will. It's not just the trappings, the acting, the singing, the dancing, uh, but it's the but it's the wisdom. It's what do you learn? from mm. this that, mm-hmm. makes, that makes it such an enduring uh, work of art? Right? What do you take away? How is your experience enriched uh, by this this work of art, whether it's a book or a film? And and I think this film kind of scores high on, on, on all those different metrics.
0: Just just hearing you answer there, I just made me think, I mean, you, you just wouldn't want to watch that on the black and white TV, which <laughs> that film, you need to see it on a color TV just to I, I can imagine, like when it was first made, and you know, in the years this, this after that, people just watching this trend, this amazing transfer from black and white into color. It would have just been amazing, I think, when it, for, for people who are watching it back then.
1: Yes, uh, the incredible thing to me is that I watched it at first in black and white, and it was still kind of dramatic. <laughs> Dorothy's you know, stepping out into mm. from bleak Kansas into this spectacular Oz, uh, still somehow made it through to me, even though I didn't see the color. Yeah, The film itself was made in technicolor, but but television, uh, color television, was really something that, that was only the wealthy. It was extremely expensive in, in 1960 when I first watched the film. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've
0: you've referred there to the the wisdom in the film, and in fact, you talk in your book about the emeralds of wisdom, and I want to just explore those with you. Um, and in your book, the first of those is 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 what you call listen to your longing, and this this reminded me there are lots of spiritual traditions, in fact, where uh, people talk about thinking about what you want and thinking about just listening to yourself, and uh, I just wondered what that meant to you what does listen to your longing mean to you and how do you think writers might usefully use that quote as well
1: you know i think that this is an invitation to go deeper than simply asking yourself what you want and what you need you know both of which are really important questions to ask yourself but to go deeper Mm. uh, go what people might expect of you or what you might do habitually, uh, but to ask yourself this, this question, you know, what do I long for? And that gives us access to our kind of more vulnerable, kind of below the layers of self protection that we've got around ourselves. Yeah, yeah, Where we're vulnerable, where we're kind of at our most genuine and authentic, you know, now, now that we're in this realm, like, what do we long for? I think that's a much more profound space. And that's a space that I think every writer needs to tap. What do you long to achieve with your writing? Yeah. It's a great question to begin with, and it's it's the first of these nine emeralds, yeah. which I think work together as a circuit, like particularly effectively if you run through all nine. But begin with listen to your longing, uh, and that puts you it puts you within yourself, and, mm. and this is where mm. you're going to find the answers to these questions. You know? mm. If you pay attention
0: to that little statement, it's the word longing that's the the word the key word. Yes, there, I, I to, You said it wasn't just like what you need or what you want, but it's what you long for and you've got to kind of almost do the work to reach that yes reach what into yourself for that as you say I think all of these things are connected but the second one as well really struck me because what you say here is see the world as if for the first time and I wondered what advice you could give us about retaining that sense of wonder and curiosity and delight about the world as we engage with it
1: yes this is what uh, in Buddhism is called beginner's mind Um, which is an invitation to step into that space where you basically set aside what you think you know about the situation, kind of still your, that inquisitive mind, that voice that's constantly chattering in your head, still that for a moment, and just look at the situation as though you've never seen it before. Uh, And Mm. this is one of the twin pillars of mindfulness. It invites you to be in this moment right now, to get in touch with your breath, to get in touch with the feel of the air on your skin, and kind of center yourself in this present moment, um, and that's a terrific way to begin any journey um, through it and to address any question that you're facing.
0: Mm. Uh, the next one, as I mean, if, if you hadn't caught me by now, you kind of really got me with the next one, because the next little phrase that, that you use is celebrate yourself and others for showing up. And it yes. reminded me because I I say to my kids sometimes and I say to other people, it's really important to turn up and more than just in a physical way, but to to really be actively present. Um, yes. I wondered what that meant for you, that what does... Is, what is, celebrating the act of showing up mean for you and how what can we learn from it do you think
1: yeah i think you you frequently hear that you know 80 percent of getting anything done is just showing up you know and for a writer you know put your uh, put your butt in your seat uh that that's a big part of getting the writing done yeah Uh, but i think more to it than this it's it's that's the showing up part. you got to do that. But then celebrate yourself for that. You know, in the film, Dorothy just lands, uh, her house lands on the Wicked Witch of the East, kills her, uh, and the Munchkins celebrate Dorothy with this amazing parade. Uh, And this is kind of an invitation to to give yourself a parade. Okay, here you Mm. are, you're in your seat, you're facing this empty screen, now celebrate yourself for just for being here. Like, what an incredible act of courage it is, just to be here just to start so it's a way of kind of putting air under your own wings as part of the of your the tactics you're using to address this issue that you're facing so first you you're tapped into your longing now you're kind of fully in the present moment and now you're celebrating yourself like woohoo like i'm here i'm ready i'm good uh, and this is and it just kind of it's part of this process of the, of shifting your perspective on on whatever obstacle you're facing
0: the other word that it really caught me from from that phrase was was celebrate in fact and i know there's like in some jewish and christian traditions celebration is considered a discipline in the best sense of the word and that actually in a joyful way, we, we should attend to celebrating and celebrate ourselves and celebrate other people. So I kind of thought, yeah, I can really un, I can really kind of warm to it and get to grips with that that phrase. And the next thing that you talk about as well, I, I think is really important because you talk about good manners and civility and kindness, all of these things leading towards compassion and choosing compassion. And I wondered yes. if you could just spend a moment, just talk to us a little bit about about that choosing
1: compassion and what that means i mean all nine emeralds work together and each one of them has individual power but this one if you had to pick one it might be this it might be listen to your longing but it might be choose compassion Mm. because compassion uh in the film Compassion turns these odd creatures that Dorothy meets the scarecrow, the tin man, the cowardly lion, turns these strange creatures into allies. They're transformed. Suddenly mm-hmm. they. Once she meets them with compassion, helps the scarecrow off the pole, uh, puts a little oil on the tin man's joints, uh, invites the cowardly lion to join them in their odyssey to Oz. Once she does this, they become loyal friends who would basically sacrifice their lives for her. So compassion has this huge transformative power in our lives addressed uh, towards ourselves. Like, so have compassion for yourself. Here you are facing this blank screen. Here you are uh, having just had a huge fight with your spouse. Here you are <laughs> with a teenage child who's just stepped on your last nerve. So start with compassion for yourself. Uh, life is difficult, man. You're in a tough yeah, spot. isn't it? Yeah. And have compassion for that other person. Uh, on the other side of this. Your spouse has got a lot of things that he or she is going through as well. And so does your child. Uh, and so does the people that you're writing this manuscript for or this article for. So having compassion is also a way of kind of deeply connecting. I think all of these nine emeralds are about forming connections. Mm. Um, and this is a crucial element to, to forming connections is, is to choose compassion, uh, emerald number four. And I, I wondered when I read it as well, whether
0: think about being a writer actually being compassionate just increases our ability to observe carefully what's going on and be engaged with things and actually describe them if we think about it in term in more technical terms as a, a writing skills we can describe much better the, the people the s- yes. situations the settings that
1: if we're compassionate Yes, I I think actually in terms of description, uh, emerald number two, kind of see the situation as if for the first time, uh, that might be really, really helpful. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. seeing it for the first time, now it's cinematic, right? And so now describe it as though you were in a movie. Uh, But this one is slightly different, I think. Uh, Choosing compassion is if you're writing for someone other than yourself, and and you might not be. I mean, writing for your own benefit is, is 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 really rewarding as well. But if you're writing in the hopes of of connecting to another person, um, how are you going to do that? The best way to connect to someone else is to put yourself in their shoes, right? Walk a mile in yes. their shoes, yes. and that's compassion. Compassion is empathy plus action. So. Put yourself in that other person's experience and now build a connection to that person. And now your writing is going to have kind of new power uh, and and, and you're going to be able to reach a wider and wider audience if you're kind of making that, that heart connection with the people on the other end.
0: Doubt the fifth emerald in your in your little collection of emeralds here is yes. is the most mysterious and enigmatic one for me <laughs> yeah. of all of them. <laughs> me,
1: because... too. Uh, me too. <laughs> me um, too. I'm happy you can explain it. It's it,
0: it's you yes. already possess what you desire most, which yes. I kind of, I can imagine like going to the top of the mountain and there's some really old guy sitting there and he just, <laughs> <laughs> thinking, okay, great. I need to go and think about this for a year or so. Yes. What does know. it mean?
1: Yes, we do. I mean, it realize that you already possess what you desire most. Now in the film, this is represented by the, those wonderful characters that Dorothy meets. The scarecrow is so, is, is desperate for brains and the yes. tin man is longs for a heart and the cowardly lion, needs courage or believes he does. But of course, it's, it's almost laughable. Uh, even a child can see how they already possess these qualities. Uh, the scarecrow is so clever. It's uh, so resourceful. The tin man is brimming over with feelings. Uh, and the cowardly lion is so funny. And, and we all know that, that laughter and fear just cannot exist in the same space. So they're wonderful, dramatic uh, expressions mm. of this really profound piece of wisdom that you and I, Andrew, already possess the quality we desire most. So in, in my case, it's courage. Um, I've, I've struggled with anxiety on and off in my life and panic mm. attacks. Um, um, and for me, I need to keep coming back to this emerald uh, and realize that I do have that courage. I've got it. Of course I do. We, If we didn't We could not desire something without already having that experience within Mm. ourselves, right? You can't desire something that's alien. Uh, So I have this courage. And by making the effort to go find it in myself, by realizing that I already possess it, I bring it to the surface. I bring it to the fore. Mm. And it's and more available to me in my daily life so so I agree with you completely the fifth Emerald takes a bit of work um, but that work is richly rewarded okay
0: and, I talked a little bit about fear in what you said then and that brings us to to the sixth of your nine emeralds which is yes. face what you fear there's iterations of that avi- advice that are around but it, I'd be interested to hear your version of it what do you mean when you say face what you fear
1: well uh, in the film, Dorothy goes to the castle of the Wicked Witch of the West, the thing that she fears most. And I think we've all had the experience of, of literally or figuratively kind of hearing those, those footsteps behind us kind of getting louder and louder. Uh, and, yeah. and, and And we all know that at some point, you've got to stop and turn around and see who those footsteps belong to, right? It's it, it's probably yeah. gonna turn out to be another person like you taking a walk around the park at night. Uh, and if it's something more menacing than that, in the tiny possibility that it is, you're gonna be in much better shape to deal with it if you turn around and look at it. And that's just the way fear works. You know, if you're in a bear pit, you know, you've gotta go through the bear to get out. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. how it works with fear. And, and the fact is, the wonderful thing about it is that when you look at your fear directly, it shrinks, it becomes much smaller, it might even dissolve completely. Uh, But unfortunately, or fortunately, it's just the way it works. And this is what you've got to do uh, in life, you've got to learn to to face your fears, Dorothy does it, you and I do it. Uh, And we get more and more skillful with it as we realize this is an important ingredient in addressing whatever obstacle we're facing whether it's writing or something in our in our personal lives that we need to take care of
0: now i just wanted to spend a moment more on this face what you fear people, yeah i think yeah. It's particularly a wonderful and terrible place for writers to be yes you know, with all of the kind of paranoia and rejection and failure and all the rest of it that, that we face. With all of your experience, how do you think writers should face their fears as writers?
1: For me, I think, again, <laughs> I keep coming back to the emeralds, but it's kind of hard-won wisdom. I'd begin mm. at the beginning. So listen to your longing. What, what are you doing this for? You know, why are you mm. writing? Mm. What is it what what drives you and clarifying that can help you dispel whatever boogeyman you're running into um because you because i think we end up telling ourselves i think that this is a, a later emerald but we we tell ourselves stories we, we we dramatize situations um and and not to our own benefit you know we we kind of mm, we sure. uh, what might example be well if i don't write this paragraph if i don't finish this um work that I'm doing, then I'm, I'm not going to be a writer or I'm going to be a failure or <laughs> no one's ever going to, uh, all this work that I've put into it is never going to bear any fruit of any kind. Do you know, we, we, we kind of make, make life so kind of complicated, uh, in the stories we tell ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so, you know, I think it's start with, so what do you, why are you doing this? And maybe yeah. you're doing it just for yourself to clarify issues in your life. People journal and that's very yeah. effective, very yeah, therapeutic. You can really bring a lot of insight to bear on whatever you're dealing with. And if you, if it's about connecting with somebody else, well, then let's take a, a realistic look. At, so what's your longing? My longing is to have somebody on the other side of this one-sided conversation I'm having with this piece of paper or this document. Um, and you will have that. I mean, when you somebody else is going to read this. So you will succeed. Now, the question of how many people? I mean, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Mm. Um, let's just one mm. or two people who read it and love it that's a huge accomplishment if you can go beyond that wonderful uh, but I think a part of facing your fear is is tapping back into you know why are you doing this as the writer and
0: getting mm. yourself
1: grounded in a real place um, and don't let your fantasies carry you off into places <laughs> you don't want to be
0: I guess it's another example of all of these these things connecting with each other, isn't it? As well, I suppose, because you can just keep going back to li- connect it like that one connects with the first one with listen to your longing and all of this other stuff. So, now the next one that you've got here, yes, you can see really where totally in the film where this is coming from because it's yes. pull back the curtain and see things as they really are. And right. one of the things I talk about on my podcast quite a lot with people is authenticity and that the how essentially it is for an authentic for books to be authentic, for stories to be authentic. But why do we need to pull back the curtain and face the truth and, and be real and do all of that kind
1: of stuff? Why is that
0: so important?
1: Well, the, this I think this is the emerald I was referring to just moments ago that directly mm. bears on facing your fears. Mm. Uh, because we embroider our lives with drama and stories. I'm about to have a job interview, um, and, and I find myself thinking... You know, if I don't get this job, I'm going to end up living in a cardboard box, you know, under a train trestle. Well, that's, that's what we do. We, we, are story. Yeah. we are hardwired to tell stories. Uh, but this is an invitation to kind of pull back the curtain on the drama and stories that we create around our own lives and look at what's really going on, just what's going on. So in the example of a job interview, what's going on? I am showing up for a job interview. I'm looking to see whether my skills and interests are a good match. Uh, And at the end of this conversation we have, uh, we'll come to some conclusion. He will come to a conclusion. I will come to a conclusion. Mm. He may decide I'm just the right person and I may decide, boy, this just really isn't a job I want Um, or vice versa. But that's all that's happening here. But you know, I've already, I've told myself this big dramatic story and put tons of pressure on myself, uh, built around fears. And and this is an invitation to take, strip all that out and just look with what, look at what's there. And it's suddenly, it's so much more manageable. You know, this I can handle. A conversation with an outcome that, that could go either way. That's mm. fine. Well, I can handle that. And I wondered if there, there's
0: a way we can translate that into the writing process because as writers, we I mean you've known writers or your professional career, we get hopelessly carried away with 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 stuff, don't we? Where in where all we're trying to do is write something, is tap the keyboard or whatever. Is there some way we can we can bring that kind of thinking to bear on writing as well as life?
1: Well I think one way that's helpful is is to just is to get down to basics. I mean, just remember that when you're writing a sentence um, to avoid the passive voice, <laughs> uh, to, you know, to make it a muscular, straightforward mm-hmm. sentence to put yourself in the driver's seat, like literally uh, yeah. in that sentence yeah. um, so, and build it up from there. Um, and And perhaps to start off with a, clearer sense of where you're heading you know maybe you want to you know work on that outline a little bit i think you know i I think writers get a bad rap because because Often, uh, the people we love will, will surprise us, and there we are, sitting in a chair, like gazing out the window, um, and they might think to themselves, or even ask, like, you know, I thought you were supposed to be working. Um, well, well, I am working. This, it doesn't take a very visible form at the moment, but I'm sitting here thinking about what it is I want to say, and that's work. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, it is one of those kind of writer jokes, isn't it, that the writer can sit there, <laughs> staring <laughs> out the window.
1: Right.
0: But everybody thinks he's just kind of bumming right. around or something doing right. that. <laughs> now, three of the virtues that, that you discuss in the book, which we see a plenty in, in the film, are courage and brains and heart. How do those different virtues, and perhaps there are other ones as well, how do they work together? And how, how can we employ them to be better writers, do you think?
1: Well, I think they, those, those three virtues kind of cover... <laughs> cover the whole gamut don't they i mean one one is the brains uh we're going to need to exercise a foresight and and it it basically kind of focus our intellects on this process that it's not gonna it's not gonna work without engaging the heart Mm. Uh, we've talked about compassion yes and passion you know you okay now your your mind can can help you figure out where to go kind of strategically. Uh, But you're going to have to follow with heart and passion. If you want to connect with somebody on the other end of your writing experience and courage, the whole damn thing is an act of courage, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) It is. Yeah. It's an act of hubris. Uh, It's like, Oh my God, to think that I'm going to actually write something that somebody else is going to want to read is a, is a wonderful kind of act of hubris. uh, And it's a wonderful act of courage.
0: Yeah, I, I, it it feels to me as if writers are always only just the right side of foolishness in in everything they do, almost. You know, it's <laughs> that, tremendous right. faith you're going to write eighty thousand words over nine months, and people are going to love it, and you're going to bear your soul to people, and they're going to love it. And it's it's either it's either faith or folly, whichever
1: one. Absolutely, yes, it's both, isn't it? <laughs> it probably is actually. Yeah. yeah, and now one
0: of the other things that you talk about is is in the book is the fact that. You say you've got the power and you had it all along, which kind of is an echo, I think, of you already possess what you desire most. But what does that, yes. what does that mean? Do you want to just kind of explain that a little
1: bit? Yeah, I think that's true. It, 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 it's an echo um, with more of a focus. I mean, now we're talking specifically about power that you possess, that you want to draw on. But this is specifically power, like personal power. Mm. Uh, I think it's very easy in this life to feel powerless, uh, especially as the number of people on this planet starts to get into the multiple millions and beyond. It's like, Mm. it's just me. I'm just a speck here. Um, But this is an invitation to realize that is true and you have great power. You have the power to shape your own experience. You have the power to sculpt your response to whatever's going on out there. Mm. And that's tremendous mm. power. Um, mm. you, can, you can greet your day with, you can greet an event with disappointment, or you can greet it with uh, gratitude. You know, there are all these different responses. And and whatever you, wh- however you respond initially, that's fine. You can also kind of, you kind of tilt things and and adjust them a little bit. So mm. that experience kind of puts you more, fully in the driver's seat, and so that you're experiencing the kind of life that that you really want for yourself. Uh, so this is, this is that invitation, to remember that you have this power. I think we, by feeling powerless, uh, we tend to cede that power to other people. Mm. Like Dorothy mm. kept looking to the Wizard of Oz to get her home. Yeah. Well, it turned out all she had to do was click those ruby slippers three times and she could get <laughs> home herself. And that's what we do. We tend to think, oh, you know, I, I need this other person to give me permission or to do this thing for me, uh, where in fact we have the power ourselves and we had it all along.
0: And that, I guess, brings us to the, the final emerald in your book, which is unsurprisingly the most overt piece of wisdom in the film. And anybody who's watched the film will recognize it. And the, the, the phrase is, there's no place like home, uh, which is, yeah. which is, it, it's a real iconic phrase and it's deeply woven into the film. But what, what does it mean to you? And what, 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 what wisdom are we drawing from that phrase?
1: Well, I think that, you know, with that ninth emerald, we've come full circle. Uh, we've made this mm. circuit through the nine emeralds, just as Dorothy did. Uh, and just as she went from being helpless to being kind of centered within herself, from lost to kind of found, we make that same circuit and we end up with the same kind of successful result. So you've listened to your longing, you started there, and you've run through these different nine emeralds we've talked about, and now you've ended up with the awareness that there is no place like home, and that home is inside you, it resides within you. And suddenly, you know, now you're centered, you're powerful, mm. you've celebrated yourself, mm. you've chosen compassion. You've got all this, this tremendous kind of updraft underneath you. Um, and this is also the, the most overtly spiritual dimension of, of this film. Um, it's on some level, it's, it's about belonging Dorothy mm. is marginalized. She's a child uh, who's basically just getting in the way at the beginning of the film. Uh, and this is, and now she's home. Now she realizes that whatever's going on outside her, she is at home within herself. And just as you are, Andrew, and I am, you know, all of the people in our lives are home within themselves, selves and, and we share this common home we share this common humanity this, this spark of divinity if you will mm. uh, and that's that's this, this kind of sea of of this kind of spiritual ocean from which we arise briefly in this lifetime and then kind of fall back uh, as our lifetime comes to an end mm. so this is a kind of profoundly spiritual moment in the film and it's and it's the most profound form of connection um, and belonging, which is what Dorothy and what we all seek, and this is how we begin our journey—is—is—is is, is, is kind of with this profound urge to to belong and connect. And this is the realization that the only thing that that keeps us from feeling connected uh, is is lack of awareness, because mm-hmm. we are connected, whether we know it or not. Knowing allows us to really experience and enjoy it. And all of these things, it
0: seems to me are different points around a whole mindset and and around yes developing resilience being mindful having a sense of grace about your life having purpose it's a it all, I mean, it's interesting. There's, the whole is more than the sum of the parts, in a way. There's a whole mindset, a whole way of thinking. Are, are I
1: utterly agree. Yes. they. There's a little bit of overlap, but they also amplify and expand on each other in this yes. kind of beautiful way that, I, you know, I just happened to discover in this film. I knew there was a reason why this film connected with so many people over 80 years. It's the most <laughs> watchable time there must be a reason for that and this is what I discovered and I do think and and people who have now the book has been out for about six weeks and I'm starting to get letters from people uh, and they're saying like this is really having an effect on me when I use the nine emeralds to address a situation with my loved one or a situation at work or in one case this gentleman said that he was reading pages of the book to his very sick spouse every night mm. and uh, mm. someone else was saying that to that he's, he's been struggling, uh, uh, he's in his 70s, and he's starting to feel kind of much less connected with life than he would like to. Mm. And the book mm. served as, these nine emeralds served as both an inspiration, kind of reconnect with his life, and a kind of blueprint for how to do it. So mm. it's, it's, I think they work together to to really have a tonic effect regardless of the specific I think they work best when you address a specific question. It's like let me run through these with regard to x um, yeah suddenly x shrinks like you expands and the issue that you're facing kind of shrinks uh, yeah. accordingly uh, and yeah. life just feels so much more fun and so much more manageable it's like things just come into perspective, don't they? That yes, the themselves. exactly. So. Yeah. It's a little shift in perspective, but a little shift in perspective can, can make a tremendous difference. Now, know? if
0: you were going to take, take all these things together and, and maybe if there were one or two things from all of this that you could say to writers, the, here's a couple of things you really, as a writer, could take out of this. What would you say?
1: If you were to say you can only pick two, you um, <laughs> so have three. three. Okay. So listen to your longing. I mean, it all begins there. Why are you writing, you know, really and truly way down deep and below fame and fortune uh, and all of these unlikely things, which certainly would be wonderful, but they can't be the real reason you're writing. So what is the real reason? Tap into that. Um, And then uh, number two, I would say, see the situation as if for the first time in terms of how you're going to write, you know, add that sense of wonder and astonishment and kind of curiosity that is beginner's mind that comes with seeing things as if for the first time. Uh, Make sure that you breathe that into your the language that you're choosing. Mm. Give us a movie, you know, Uh, immerse us in your world. Uh, And then the third one would be Emerald number four, which is choose compassion. Uh, Mostly, first and foremost, address that yourself. What you're doing is really difficult. It's really worthwhile. It's going to benefit you and hopefully benefit other people as well. Mm, But choose compassion for the difficult task that you're taking on. And then choose compassion for the person who's going to be drinking in your words and with whom you're going to be in mind meld. You know, have a a kind of fully dimensional uh, sense of what that person's experience is so that you can more directly and capably and skillfully communicate with that person
0: now you've talked about the need to apply these these principles to very specific things and i know that there is actually a downloadable worksheet that people can get that they can use to start to fill in and start to apply this to their life and um, yes. that's on your website so i wonder if you could tell us how would we get access to that uh,
1: yeah i was in washington dc just uh, yesterday and i went uh, to this wonderful kind of meditation center and it was the very first time i'd done this we had lots of time to work with i had a couple of hours there uh so i printed worksheet um and it's a three-page worksheet and it's it's got a little paragraph a brief paragraph with every emerald right and then right. it's got space for you to fill in it's got some prompts uh, description of the emerald and kind of how it works and then space for you to fill in uh, whatever whatever issue you're facing in your life whether it's um well, maybe you're, you're graduating high school or college and you're about to embark on in the, in the world in, in a way that you never have before. Um, and that's, that's frightening. And, and mm. um, so, so write that down, right? Just write it down and then run through the, this worksheet. Uh, so this was at the spiritual retreat. Everybody, it was 35 people, 40 people. They each had this three-page worksheet and they had 20 minutes to just work on it. And it was the most beautiful thing. For 20 minutes, it was they were utterly absorbed, just like all I could hear was like the scratching sound of pencils <laughs> on paper. Uh, and at the end of it, um, and I didn't know how this was gonna turn out, I'd never done it before. Uh, and at the end of it, I said, you know, Um, I think I've discovered this valuable tool. I told them this early on, uh, but I don't know for sure. I mean, you tell me what happens when you use these worksheets. Uh, And it was so beautiful. I mean, just one after another, they came up to the microphone and talked about the ways in which this process had kind of shifted things for them Mm. uh, around a sick relative, around being 13 and and, and facing lots of anxiety, uh, around being a writer. One of them was a writer and trying to figure out what she wanted to do next with her professional life. Um, and so it was just it was so rewarding for me. And it gave me this, it reinforced this feeling that that I'm onto something and this desire to share it with people. Mm. Um, and yes, it's in the book. But you, you can also download this worksheet at, at PeterGazzardi.com at my website, a P-E-T-E-R-G-U-Z-Z-A-R-D-I. PeterGazzardi.com. And if you click on at the right, you'll see an emeralds of Oz, like an emerald green button. And if you click on that, uh, at the bottom of the page, you'll see downloadable things. And there's a three-page worksheet. Just download it, print it off, and, and put the emeralds to work in your life. But I'm, I'm kind of excited by the fact that it seems to have this, this power. These nine emeralds have this power. Run through this circuit and activate this power in your life, and just kind of watch things shift and change in a way that makes whatever you're facing suddenly look more manageable easier
0: and you don't have to kind of pay for that you just can kind of guide. you. Oh, that's free. Time.
1: That's a free download. Yeah. yeah? I mean, okay. you might, you know, God willing, you'll find that you want to read more about it and you'll buy the book.
0: Yeah. But, of yeah. Sure.
1: Honestly, I mean, one of the things when I listen to my longing, it's not to sell books. That would be great. It would be great to be rich and famous would be wonderful. A uh, bestseller list would be lovely. But really what I long for is, is for you, Andrew, and for your listeners to put these emeralds, put this tool that I just discovered in this film that was right there, but we just didn't know it. Just put this tool to work in your life and, and watch your life shift for the better. I mean, that's, it's, that's, that's, that's what i long for and um yeah see if you, Sounds if you great. can make it happen free download mm-hmm. see if you can't make that happen i suspect you will uh, and please let me know i would love to hear about it well that's, i I'll, it's I'll my boat for sure i would encourage
0: my listeners to go to that website download that that form fill it in and And drop you a line peter i mean i don 't know how but that'd be wonderful a contact page on your website now. yes,
1: there is absolutely okay. so yeah. it 's not difficult, is it really no, not at no. all
0: okay i 've got a couple of quick questions we 're going to finish sure. in a moment, but a couple we 're sure. going to just to close with a couple of quick questions. The first one of absolutely. Which, do you have any other parting words of encouragement to to writers if anyone 's listening to this, any writers who are listening to this, and you know they 're halfway through the, the first draft and They've got a million and one other things going on, and it's really hard work. And you know, the weight of the world is upon them. For whatever reason, what words of encouragement would you give to a writer in that position?
1: I would say, you know, you remember, you are on a noble quest. You hero. You are the hero in the hero's journey. Being a writer is not easy, um, and but and yet it's so worthwhile. At the very mm. least you will clarify your own thoughts and achieve some insight into your situation and at the very most you will you'll be in mind meld with your readers and you you will touch them profoundly in ways that will shift their experience and they can reflect that back to you uh, when you go to bookstores and have conversations with them about the book Mm. so it's a noble noble quest it's it's difficult but what noble quest is not
0: that's true and
1: there's this wonderful prize at the end of it which is to have a conversation. You'll be in conversation with people who will have read your work, yeah. and and what what a, a great um, what a great treasure that is uh, at the yeah. end. Of this rainbow. It's, it's yeah. good
0: for us to remember what a great thing writing is, isn't it? And you, you're right. I mean, it is hard, but it, <laughs> the things that are worth having are hard, aren't they? But it, it absolutely. Is, it, I love the fact that you're calling it a noble quest. So just to finish, Peter, can you just remind us if, if people. Interested now finding out more about you or finding out more about the book? Can you give it, Remind us the title of the book and tell uh, us. How
1: yeah, it? the title of the book is "Emeralds of Oz: Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow." And the website is emeraldsofoz.com. Uh, you can also reach it through my name, petergazzardi.com. G-U-Z-Z-A-R-D-I.com. And um, it's, it's really all there in the book. The book is there to activate what is already within you. Mm. Um, So in Mm. that way, I've done a lot of the work already, you know, I took those two or three years to to try to, to get this (laughs) right. And, and so it's, it's, it's served up it's right it's all teed up for you yeah. um, so take a look at it or take a look at the website wherever you get this information um, i i invite you to try it just give it a try and see if it doesn't make your life easier and i suspect it will
0: okay well thank you very much indeed <laughs> peter for your time well, that's been i mean i hope people really do feel a sense of encouragement the people that people are listening to this from this and and they carry on engaging in their noble quest and and they find out <laughs> more about these emeralds it's been a pleasure to talk to you peter thank you very much for your uh,
1: time andrew it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you thank you very All much right. peter a pleasure okay yeah, it's great conversation. cheers <laughs> okay, bye bye.
0: thank you for listening to the creative writers tool belt podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or me just go to my website it's andrewjchamberlain.com